uh, still in the After Pentecost series. I, I was just so, uh, the, the, the idea of what do we do after something is still sticking with me, after the resurrection, after our salvation, after youth camp. You know, after Pentecost, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, after, after you recommit your life to Christ. How many of you have done that before? And you've been walking and all of a sudden you found that you're in a ditch and didn't even know it. And Jesus had to hook up his tow truck and drag you out of the ditch. And, and you're all of a sudden you're back walking with him again. And, but you didn't even know you're in the ditch until the uh, Holy Spirit finally, you know, just tapped you on the side. Hey, you're in the ditch. And uh, so after Pentecost is, is, is a continuation of what are we doing with what we've got? What, what are we doing with what God has given us? So this morning, uh, it's, it's kind of a, an unusual title. It's called American Idols. Um, do, you, do you remember when you read in the Old Testament? And we, we all kind of look at the Israelites and just, if you've read it through the Old Testament, you always kind of thought they were just so dumb. You know what I'm saying? They, they would, God would do these great miracles and then they would build a golden calf. They'd do another great miracle and they'd do something else stupid. And, and it was all the way through their history. And like when in the age of the kings, when the kings would come, uh, there would be, uh, the kings would like start out good, but then at the end they would have idols. They would have uh, pagan idols in, in the country. And so they'd get a new king. And the new king, what would he do? He'd go destroy the idols. He'd say, go to the high places, just tear all those down. But at the time he was through, the idols were back. And then the next king came to destroy the idols. And before he, before he died, the idols were back. So it was a continual thing of idols coming, uh, being a part of their life for the Israelites. And we go, well, why, not, why are they so stupid? Why, would, why don't they get it and, and keep it? Why don't they know the word of God and trust the word and trust God and trust his, his promises? And over and over and over, they, they would do that. And, and so I know that as we get into this message today, this is the Apostle Paul. He's going into a place where there are idols. Now, he's not going into a Jewish country. He's going into a pagan country, and he's going in where there are idols. And he's going to have to confront idols. And, and I realize that when I preach on idols, I'm opening up a can of worms. I just am. I, because a lot of people are going, uh-oh, he's going to go after that thing that I really like. Right? But if I don't talk about idols, then I'm missing, you know, God, he thought it was so important that he made it his first commandment. So that's pretty important when you say so he says this in Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. How many is no other? It's none. No other gods before me. So you see, we tend to think of idolatry as a, as a sin that happened way back because pastor's talking about Israel. We think of a, a idolatry as, as a pagan sin or a pagan religion. We think of idols. Uh, we, we think of images that they would bow down to. And in our Western culture, we don't have idols, do we? Because I know y'all don't go home. Y'all don't have some, some idol on your, ma- on your mantle of your fireplace and you go home. Nah, 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 nah. You don't chant to some idol, some graven image, do you? So apparently we don't have idols or the problem of idols in America. No, not us, right? But we do. Don't we? Here's the thing. We, we, we forgot that, you know, we, we try to attach the definition in the Old Testament to idols and now there, but there's a better definition in our culture today. And I want to give you the, what an idol is. I want to give you the definition of an idol. An idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. I'll read that again. 
You might want to write that one down. That's why I had this and put it on the screen. An idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. Even good things become, can become idols, right? Y'all agree? When we make those things, that, those good things, the ultimate things in our lives, they can become idols. Listen, anything or anyone can, can become an idol if we place the value for that thing or that person above our value for God. So we're going to be talking about this this morning, value. What, what do you value, and, and how does that look in your life? Does it look like idolatry, or is it a good thing in your life that is submitted to God? Deuteronomy 4, 23 says this, So be careful not to break the covenant. The covenant, say covenant. Don't be, don't be, be careful not to break the covenant the Lord your God has made with you. Do not make idols of any shape or form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire, for he is a... Jealous God. I used to think, well, how can God be jealous? Because he told us not to be jealous. Listen, he created us. He, he is jealous for me, right? He loves us so much. He does not want to divide his, his, his glory. He doesn't want to give anybody else to take his glory away from him. And so when you, already ele- when you elevate somebody or something above God, you are giving them glory. You may not think of it that way, but you're giving that thing or that person glory and you're taking it away from God. And he says, I am a jealous God. I'm a consuming fire. He's serious about this. It was the first commandment. He's really serious about this. We need to get serious about this very same thing, church. So as Christians, do we allow idols into our lives? What causes us to fall into the trap of the enemy? What, what causes us to, to find ourselves waking up someday worshiping some things or some people that we shouldn't be worshiping, that we shouldn't be idolizing? What causes that and how do we prevent that? There's a scripture in Proverbs 4, verse 23 in the Passion says this. So above all, guard the affections of your heart. Above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Now think about this in relationship to idols. If you have placed an idol in your life, a person or a thing, something in your life above God, then you have you have pushed God down to number two, number three, number four, wherever he is on the list. And he says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect everything about you, all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, your your soul, your mind, your will and emotions. For from there flow the wellsprings of life. Everything flows out of who you're worshiping. Y'all understand that? Everything flows out of who you're worshiping. One article I read, and it's interesting, when you type in idolatry in America, man, you get a lot of articles. Some are by Christians, some aren't, but I read this one article, and, and this was kind of interesting. It said this, this person listed six top things. Now, there's about a million, okay? But this is the top six in this author's estimation. Number one is identity. We are so wrapped up in who we are that we're not concerned about who we are in Christ. And we're after who, what we can get for us. We want to be elevated. We want to be number one. You know, that's, that's identity. That's the first thing he sees. The second thing is money or materialism. And I don't think I have to talk about that much. Right? We live in America. Cha-ching. Credit cards. Whatever. We want. And if we want it, we try and we go out and get it. 
the best way we can. Number three is sex. And he's not talking about the pure form of sex, which God created and is beautiful. He's talking about perverted sex. It's become perverted through pornography, through, through per, uh, so many other, uh, through adultery, through fornication. It's so accepted now in our country. It's just like no big deal. You watch a movie and somebody, they kiss, or just they have to, they just have, to have that look. And, and the next thing you know, the next thing they're in bed because it's just sex, right? And so we elevated sex has become an idol. People worship sex in this country. The fifth thing he had was comfort. And I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, we all want to be comfortable. I mean, people won't come in here. If, if it's 78 degrees, people will get up and walk out. So we got to have it about 70 degrees, especially if it's 100 degrees outside. Churches, listen, we have padded, padded chairs. I like padded chairs. Nothing wrong with padded chairs. But we want comfort, don't we? How many of you got a lazy boy in your house? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. You need to pray over that. Because see, what you've declared is that you're a lazy boy when you sit in that chair. So don't call it a lazy boy. Just they need to change the name of it. Resting in Jesus' chair. <laughs> Comfort. You know, we're Americans, we want to be comfortable. How many of you, when your air goes out in your car, if you got any money left stored away somewhere, you're going to get it to the mechanic to fix your AC? You know the people that don't have air. Man, they got all four windows down, and they're fanning at the same time while they're driving. Yeah, we want air. We want comfort. All right, and the next one is, and here's the last one that he had, number six. Anybody want to take a guess what number six might be? Cell phone. Cell phone. Y'all get your cell phones out. Oh, you already got them out. What am I talking about? I see you scrolling. Oh, but Pastor, I'm in Bible Gate. We know you're not. Well, I, somebody, how many of you are like, well, I don't need to say this, but you get a text and it's like the president's texting you and it could be somebody that's trying to sell you. Oh, I got to see who that was. Ding. They got that little ding on their phone. You got to run to your phone. Oh, where's my phone? I don't know where my phone. Oh, if you leave the house, you don't have your phone. What do you do? You start crying. Oh, Lord. That's when you pray the most. God, help me find my cell phone. I can't live without it. It's got everything. It's got my life in here. And it does. <laughs> Cell phones. For many, their phones are their lives. It's not that we don't need our phones. It's the value we place on them that causes the problem. Some of you couldn't make it a day without a phone, a cell phone. If, it's, if it breaks, you'll know somebody if their phone breaks. Moving on. <laughs> what, other, what, what other idols did I find listed? Well, there are idols in the church. Well, I'm talking about the world here, but I'm talking about the church now. There's idols in the church. Some people worship church. They, they're just not going to miss church. Now, they're not meeting God there. They're not having an encounter with God. They just got to be at church so they can see what else is going on in church. Some people worship worship. Oh, did you hear the new Hillsong song? Oh, man, so it was incredible. I just love the, the rips and the, the guitar, the drum parts. Man, they get all excited about the music of the, you know, and they're not even listening to what are they worshiping? I just, if you don't have cool worship, man. So people worship, you know, people worship their own ministries. My ministry is more important than your ministry. And they worship their ministry. See, we can, you can make anything an idol in your life. Some people, they worship, they worship their family. Well, family's the more, most important thing to me in all my life. Real, really? Well, then God's going, uh, who am I, chopped liver? Right? 
Some people say, well, if I, I couldn't make it without so-and-so, I just couldn't make. Well, then God said, you're saying God is not enough. Some of you break up, you break up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you just, you go into depression for weeks, and I just can't live without him. I can't live without her. And God says, really? I'm your breath of life. See, we, we make things idols, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad things. Cell phones are good. I use my cell phone. Uh, we all, we, we need money. The, the ministry needs money. Uh, listen, if we didn't have sex inside of marriage, we wouldn't have a population. So we, all these things are not bad things. It's just if you've elevated these things above God, then they become an idol in your life. All these things that I've mentioned, when they're in submission to God, are good things. They can be used for good for His purposes. But listen, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, ultimately it becomes a destructive thing in our lives. When it's elevated above God, it, ultimately it'll be a destructive thing in your life. When Jesus addressed worry in Matthew 6, everybody knows this scripture. He was addressing worry. I love what Sandra said, Dr. Seal said about fear. He was addressing fear and worry in Matthew 6. They were like, well, we're going to get our food. We're gonna, what are we going to wear? This, 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 this. What are we going to, you know? You know what? I missed number three while ago, didn't I? Well, I called four, three. This is a huge one. I don't even have I missed that. Anybody know which one I left out? Entertainment, sports. That's number three. And the guy's saying, move on, Pastor. <laughs> the ladies that like their soap operas, move on, Pastor. The people that like to binge watch their favorite show, move on, Pastor. Let's don't talk about entertainment. Let's don't talk about sports. Okay, I won't. <laughs> and I've said. Jesus said this to those who were worrying and fearful. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He said, there's a way to figure out what to do with your life, and it's to seek me first. Seek my righteousness, seek my kingdom. All that other stuff, maybe it's important, and it is, it's okay. But if those things supersede me, then fear and worry will start fulfilling your lives. Okay? So let's get into the scripture. That's just the preamble right there. Uh, let's look at what Paul encountered when he went to Athens. Now, see, Paul was with, 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 was with Timothy and Silas, and they got separated on purpose. And they sent Paul out to one place, to Berea, and Paul's going there. And then some guy said, well, Paul, let's take you down to Athens. I think you would do really good in Athens because wherever Paul was going to be, he was going to preach the gospel, okay? So we're taking this up in Acts 17, verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was deeply troubled when he realized that the entire city was full of idols. He argued the claims of the gospel with the Jews in their synagogue and with those who are worshipers of God. And every day he preached in the public square to whomever would listen. The first thing is, are we deeply troubled? Are we deeply troubled when we see the, 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 the way that the America has gone, how we've gone to hell in a handbasket, so to speak? The things that have become elevated and important. Did you know you can worship politics? You can make political things your idol that can, be your, that can consume you. There's so many things. That we just can't even list them all. 
But he, here was Paul. He's coming into this city. Listen, he hasn't been here before, been there before, but he's heard about it. That's where all the great philosophers were. That's where all the people that, that talked about every different kind of religion were. And he said, man, I got to get there. And it says when he walked into the city, he says he was deeply troubled. Are we deeply troubled at idolatry in America? Are we deeply troubled about idolatry in our own homes? Because we should be. See, recognizing the problem is the first step to getting healed. Recognizing that we have idols in our own homes is the first step to getting those idols out and, and submitted to God and, real, and elevating God to the position that he deserves. First place in our lives. Are you deeply troubled about it? Look at verse 18. Philosophers of the teachings of Epicurus and others called Stoics. Those are like the apathetic people. They debated with Paul, and when they heard him speak about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what strange ideas is this babbler trying to present? Others said, he's peddling some kind of foreign religion. So they brought him like for a public dialogue before the leadership council of Athens, known as the Oropagus or Mars Hill. Tell us, they said, about this new teaching that you're bringing to our city. You're presenting strange and astonishing things to our ears, and we want to know what it all means. Now, it was the favorite pastime of the Athenians and visitors to Athens to discuss the newest ideas and philosophies. The second thing I want you to see is you're going to know something about your own life. And if you're an idol, if you have idolatry in life, if, if you would, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are so, we're quick to talk about sports. We're quick to talk about movies. We're quick to talk about our children. We're quick to talk about everything. But it seems like the Bible, talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, about, about healings, about testimonies, that kind of gets pushed to the side in many of our lives. You just think about your conversations this week with your, with your coworkers. What was it about? We talk about our families more than anything probably. But are you talking about the family of God? Are we ashamed of the gospel? Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for these Greeks in Athens. Can any of these idols that we mentioned this morning save anybody? Isn't that amazing? But we elevate them. We see they're so important, but they can't save you. They can't give you eternal life. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So why don't we elevate him and talk about him more? Let's move on to verse 22. So Paul stood in the middle of the leadership council and said, Respect the leaders of Athens. It's clear to me how extravagant, you, how extravagant you are in your worship of idols. For as I walked through your city, I was captivated by the many shrines and objects of your worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that said, To the unknown God. I have come to introduce you to this God to whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. You see, they, they worship many, many, many gods. Go back and read. You can go study Greek culture. They, 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 they worship many gods, all graven images and Zeus and all those, those guys and Hermes and all those. Is it Hermes or Herpes? Which one? I don't remember. One of those gods. You worship one of them, you'll get that. I'm sorry. Just making sure you're listening. It was kind of like this. Hey, guys, we worship a lot of gods here, but what if we missed one? Well, let's just make a little statue over here and say, to the unknown God. We'll get them all covered. Victor, that's how we'll cover that one, too. See, that's what Americans do. We, we go to church and we worship God, but we got all these other gods, but we want to make sure we get God in there. Let's at least once a month. Let's read our Bible once in a while. Let's, let's have a little religion in our lives so we can say that we're worshiping God. 
And God said, but you haven't, that's not what I'm asking. I want a relationship with you. I want a 24-7 kind of conversation with you. I want to know you intimately. I want you to know me. And we, we just relegate God to the back corner and say, well, you're, the, you're that God that we, we hang on to just in case we need you. We're, he's our 911 God, right? Everything's, everything's going good. God, we're cool. I don't, we, I'll talk to you when I need you. All of a sudden, things go bad. Hey, God, I need some help. And we go to him in times of trouble, which we should, but we should also go to him in times of joy and of peace. The third point I want you to know and see is who are we extravagantly worshiping? See what he said there? He said, it's clear to me how extravagant you are in your worship of idols. He's kind of like commending them. Oh, oh this man, we don't know Paul, but he's, he's being very nice to us. He, he sees that we extravagantly worship these Images cut out of stone by some man. He's not really commending them. It's kind of a backhanded way to get them to listen to what he has to say. So how do we know if someone or something has become an idol? You might want to write these down while I get a drink of water. CJ, I drank the whole bottle last week. <laughs> Just in case you're still checking. Number one. Four questions you ask yourself to identify if you have any idols in your life. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? I know people have to work. Understand that. We're not talking to that. You know what I'm talking about. Where do you spend your time? Second thing, where do you spend your money? I hear murmuring. <laughs> where do you spend your money? Ooh, this is a good one. Where do you get your joy? Where do you get your happiness? And the last one is what's always on your mind. What's on your mind the most? Got really quiet in here. Write those down. Go back, go home. God, are you on my mind a lot? He'll, he'll, he'll answer you, not really. <laughs> or he'll say, yes. And you're, you're wide open. You, we, we talk all the time. You listen to me. That's what I want to hear my, my Savior say. He, he, shouldn't be the, he shouldn't be the fourth or fifth thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning. He should be the first thing. And I know he's not always. Not always, but he should, most of the time he should be on your mind. We were... This is crazy. This is San Angelo. We went to H-E-B yesterday. And, and I let my wife out. She was going to go in and get some hamburger meat and some buns. So I, she said, I said, Wait, which door? You know how guys are. Which door are you coming out, baby? Because <laughs> I want to be parked and ready. I want to see you when you come up. I'm pulling up. The door is open so you can get in and you don't have to look for me. Can I get a witness, guys? How many of you just drive around the parking lot kind of watching that door? Like, hey, is she coming? Oh, no. Oh, I'm not, I'm not close enough to get to her now. Yes. I'm just... I think we all kind of think the same way, in a way. Unless you park as far away as you can and say, I want her to walk. <laughs> okay, we're, we're at H-E-B. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking at the, the entrance to the, it's right there. It's just right across the, I got a good parking spot. 
and I hear this car just vroom, vroom, and this car is pulling up and, and there's this black suburban and he pulls around this other guy and he slams on his brakes and cuts in front of him, slams on his brakes like he's trying to stop this car or going to hit this car. Like you could see there was, it's not road rage, this is parking lot rage. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit, oh, it was a little bit tense. And the dude jumps out of the suburban after he's trying to pin this guy up against the, 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 part, the uh, sidewalk. And he jumps out of the suburban and he goes, boom, boom. He starts slamming, banging on the window of that car. He says, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And I'm going, what in the world is going on? And the guy just pulls onto the sidewalk, pulls around, zip, he takes off. This guy, man, he is cussing. He jumps back in his suburban and he gets in his suburban and he's taken off to follow this guy. And I don't know what's about to happen, but you know what Holy Spirit said for me to do? Pray. Pray. See, it wasn't on my mind to do anything else. What can I do? God said pray. And I said pray. I pray, pray God, bring this guy to his right mind before something bad happens. Bring him to his right mind. And I don't know what happened after that. Randy, you might know something happened. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I knew that that's my intervention. He was on my mind. God was on my mind. Do this, Harold. This will help. See, sometimes we think, well, prayer just doesn't amount to Prayer is important. Prayer is important. Now let's move on. Verse 24. The true God. Listen, this is Paul. And you got to understand, this is all that he debated. He's, he spoke a lot of things. This is just the cliff notes, so to speak, that God said this needs to be in the word. Verse 24. He gets this opportunity and he says this about that unknown God. He said, the true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, and he doesn't live in a man-made temple. He supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him, for he has all things and everything he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity, and he spread us over all the earth. He set the boundaries of peoples and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so that even that every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him, for he is the God who is easy to discover. He's not hiding from you. He wants you to find him. Matter of fact, he came looking for us first. Says he came to seek and save that which was lost. Look at verse 28. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. The fourth thing I want you to see is where is our identity? Where is your identity found? We talk about identity all the time because it's so important that you know that your identity needs to be or must be in Christ for you to walk and live and have your being in him. See, many people, their, their, their whole identity is wrapped up in their occupation or their, or their lineage. I'm a son of so-and-so uh, or, or how educated they are. Well, I've got a master's degree. That's who I am. Or the, it, usually it's their occupation or it's I'm, I'm a mother of 12 kids, you know, pray for her. And, and it's just whatever, whatever it is that they're wrapped up in their identity is in, in everything and anything but Christ. So he's talking about their identity here that we move and we have our being in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And when you understand that, then you can start walking in victory. But if you're living your life according to the identity that you placed on yourself and it's apart from Christ, listen, when your business falls and your identity, go, you, you go to pot. 
When your finances go like that, you just all of a sudden your identity is I'm just a poor old person. You see your identity, even if you don't have a dollar in your bank account, if you know Christ, you're rich. You're rich. Verse 29. Since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we even think that the divine image could be compared to something made of gold, silver and stone? Now, you know, that kind of had upset them. Sculpted by man's artwork and clever imagination. The fifth thing I want you to see is what will your legacy show? What will our legacy show? What's your legacy going to show? You've heard me say it many times. I, I read obituaries, and I don't read them as much as I used to. I, I just, they're kind of depressing now because most of the obituaries I read now, they don't mention Jesus at all. They don't mention passing on to be with the Lord. They, it's just like you see their identity was in their stuff that they did. Man I, man, I hope and pray your identity, when your obituary is written, the best thing they could say about you is that you love to hunt and fish. Man, if that's your identity, you in trouble. <laughs> Unless you're fishing for men and hunting for Jesus, you know? What's, what's, what is your legacy? What's it going to be? He's talking about a good way to test if you placed other things before Christ is to look at what your legacy will be. Right now, today, what would your legacy be to your children, to your grandchildren, to the people around you? What would they say about you at your funeral? I had the privilege of sitting by Lee Haney this week. I had the privilege of holding his hand and praying with him and singing when I got there because his sister said, because of COVID, nobody could be in the room with him except a relative. And she couldn't get here. She said, can you make sure the pastor could get there? And because of two awesome nurses, they, they called me and they said, can you come? And I said, I can come. I had, a, I had a schedule of counseling and I had to cancel. I had to go to the hospital. I said, yes, I can come. Said he didn't have long to live. And I thought about his legacy as I was preparing this. And I thought all, how many of you read all the things on Facebook after I posted about his, his passing into the kingdom of God, into, the, into heaven? And we read over and over and over. I loved Lee Haney. I loved watching him worship. I loved him when he hugged me. I loved the way he would come to Bible studies. He just loved Jesus. Well, see, he didn't love Jesus a few years ago. Jesus was not a part of his life. He would not have had a legacy. But one day, one day, listen, this was on June 20th, 2017, because Tanya McKenzie had witnessed him over and over and over in physical therapy for years. When we gave the, when we presented her at at her, at her funeral, I said, if you would like to come and view her this morning, you can come. But right before I said that, I said, Tanya, I would be remiss. And I know Tanya wouldn't like it if I didn't share the plan of salvation. I, pl- I shared the plan of salvation at her funeral. And Lee Haney got up before anybody else. And he came and made a beeline to me and Mary Lou. And he said, I want to know that Jesus that Tanya McKenzie told me about. And he accepted Christ right there. And his legacy changed that moment. His legacy changed that moment because Jesus became number one in his life. What's your legacy? It's important that you know what your legacy is, church. It's important that your children know that Jesus is number one in your life. Not your wife, but Jesus. Verse 30. Oh, boy. In the past, God tolerated our ignorance. Listen to this, man. This is important. In the past, God tolerated our ignorance of these things. 
And if you're ignorant before, before you heard this, you're not ignorant of this anymore. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. But now the time of deception has passed away. You have no excuse. You want to walk out here today and go serve sports or go serve entertainment or go serve your family or go do serve anything else. But God, if you want to go do that, you can do that. But it's not going to be on my hands. It's going to be on yours. He commands us all to repent and turn to God for the appointed day has risen in which he's going to judge the world. Listen, he's going to judge us. There's a judgment that's coming for people that don't believe. He's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has designated. That's Jesus. And the proof given to the world that God has chosen this man is this. He resurrected him from among the dead. He is going to judge every person that has rejected Jesus Christ. And he's going to judge Christians just on their works alone. But that's not going to prevent you from being in heaven. That's what I believe. I believe that's going to determine your gifts or your rewards. But for those who have never said yes, he's going to say this. Depart from me. I never knew you. Not I knew you, then I didn't know you, then I knew you, then I didn't. He's going to say, I never knew you. You don't want to hear those words. Because then you're going to be cast into eternal damnation, fire, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be called hell or it's called hell. People don't want to talk to you, to, to people much about hell anymore. But I'm telling you, there is, there is punishment for rejecting Christ. What is the answer to idolatry? Simply this, repent. Simply this, repent. Repent. He says he commands us all to repent and turn to God. Repentance is more than just, listen, I'll tell you this because I know some of you have never been here before. Repentance just doesn't mean, oh, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry I did that. And then you go back and do it again, 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 again. Repentance is God changed the way I think so that is not important to me anymore, that that's not a part of my life anymore. See, forgiveness and repentance are not the same thing. You can ask for forgiveness, but then you got to repent. you got to change the way you think. And God will help you that. It's a process. It may not come overnight, but it's a process. But if you'll continue to make him Lord of your life and serve him and make him your, your supreme worship, if you, if you follow him, then he will help you and guide you through all these things. You'll be successful. Revelation 2, 5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Some of you this morning, you, you're gonna, you've already figured out, oh, pastors, he hit me there, 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 there. I need to repent because I've made some things idols in my life. You're not, you haven't lost your salvation, but you really need to repent and get things back in order in your life. Amen? Now let's close up here with verse 32. The moment they heard Paul bring up the topic of resurrection, some of them ridiculed him. They got up and left, but the others said, we want to hear you again later about these things. So Paul left the meeting, but there were some who believed the message and joined him from that day forward. Among them were Dionysius, a judge on the leadership council, and a woman named Damaris. Listen, when a judge on the leadership council in the Oropagus gave their life to Christ, that was a big deal. I'm sure they weren't welcomed in that council anymore. And that might have been his wife. We're not sure. The last thing I want, you share, I want to share with you as our... As our uh, Ministry team comes forward. Go ahead, ministry team. 
What will we be? Will we be wise or will we be foolish? Will you be the wise or will you be the foolish this morning? Will you be the wise or will you be the foolish? First Corinthians one twenty seven really applies. I'm thinking Paul must have been thinking of the these Athenians when he wrote this. It says, But God chose those from whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the, pu- the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. <laughs> All these Stoics, these philosophers. Oh, we would like to hear more about this. And Paul said, listen, this is about resurrected Jesus. He is the God, the King of kings. He's the one true living God. You either receive him or you don't. And people believe. Some the wise people there that day that thought they were wise, they really became wise when they accepted Christ. But see, the intellectuals have a hard time receiving Jesus because they just can't figure that out. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to them. That's where faith comes in. God gives you the faith to believe this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, I'm going to tell you a promise in the Word of God. It says he gives everyone a measure of faith. Everyone. So don't say, I don't have faith because he's given it to you. You have to exercise it. You have to exercise it this morning. I love Joshua 24, 15. I'm just going to quote part of it. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand this morning? Would you stand this? I know this. I know it's a tough message. I know it is. Man. I know it's not popular to say what I just said. But listen, you're going to thank me on that day when Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, like he said to Lee Haney on Thursday night at 9.41. You know, he had a pacemaker. His heart was still beating, but he wasn't breathing. We saw him take his last breath. And I love that, that that last breath here was, the next breath was in the presence of God. And the man that couldn't talk unless he held his hand over his throat, over that voice box, and he had a hard time doing that even. <laughs> I don't even know what the first words out of his mouth were, but I'm sure they were strong. Praise you, God! His voice was so strong. It's so strong. If Lee were here today, he would tell you, do not put off giving your life to Jesus Christ. He was 70-something years old, and he had not lived for the Lord yet his sister, she, you wouldn't believe what his sister, thank you so much. You will never believe what freedom fellowship mentally this family here. You'll never, you'll never know how much he loved you. Because he found life in Christ through people here. Father, this morning, the invitation, Lord, is going out. Father, people that have come in here this morning and Everything else is more important to them than you. But today, they recognize that they need to repent and restore you to your proper place, your proper position as the King of kings and Lord of lords of their life.